Hey folks, this is Rue. And Dave. Welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we're going to continue Anne of Green Gables um, by Ellen Montgomery. And the chapter title today is Mrs. Rachel Lind is Properly Horrified. I can't wait. Cue the music. Your week um, actually, yeah, well, yes, month. Month for us. <laughs> yes. we, we, we've been taking a break off, but because of our incredible buffer, it's seamless. You will not know, except yeah. for the fact that we just told you. But let it go. Well, we, we have a habit of doing that, yeah. if, if you've listened to our 1984 uh, production. Production. Yeah. production. <laughs> our 1984 season, we had to have a couple of breaks in between, mainly because life... Uh, travel and mental health. Do you do you think there's someone's created a 1984 musical? I hope not. Like, no, isn't I don't know. There's there's something new that's been produced about 1984, but I haven't had a chance. But this is not 1984. This is Anne of Gable. So let's focus on Mrs. Rachel Lind, not just being horrified, but being properly horrified. Oh, that, that is the most extreme version of being horrified. Apparently so. Um, it's, I, I like how that there's that description of not just horrified. No, no. Because, yeah, last time uh, uh, Marilla was trying to um, learn how Anne worked, what her strengths and weaknesses were, and she asked Anne to go into the next room and get her something, and Anne got uh, absorbed into a painting. Yeah. And... Uh, she she thought Anne's uh, comments on the painting were close to blasphemy. Whereas if like we were reflecting that it probably wasn't blasphemy, it was you know a sense of longing to belong, which was completely reasonable. Ah, but yes, yeah. And, and and then of course had her memorize a prayer, which she did right away, and wanted to talk about other things. And well, or she wanted to discuss the prayer itself, and then that was too much. So I think Anne, we were discussing Anne is definitely going to be a bit of a challenge for those who are used to the set ways and the set approaches, even towards their towards religion, towards faith, and and that 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 was, I mean, we heard her experiences where she basically didn't see people's actions and their faith necessarily reckon, like being aligned. Mm. Uh, the fact that she has the red hair has made her subject to multiple forms of prejudice, mm. which in part are fueled within uh, dogmatic or um, bigotry-heavy uh, belief systems. And, and even just in my experience with uh, uh, a lot of uh, religion growing up was that... Um, a lot of adults or authority figures within the face I've been exposed to don't take kindly to questions. Which is a whole nother giant can of worms. But yeah. Which I think is what really pushed me away because if you can't answer questions, then what are you hiding? Well, it's, it's also more the case of when things are used in order to reinforce one person or a few people's hold on power over yes. a community, then it's not actually, it's not anything, it has nothing to do with, with, with the actual faith itself. Mm. Uh, I guess, because faith is a deeply personal thing, but then you can have community that, that 
has common threads around yeah. faith. It's very, well, well, but at the same time, you get people who abuse it a lot. And, and my, my point was just with Anne being a very, you know, curious and questioning child. Yeah, how that's going to go down for her in a fairly, I mean, the impression we're getting is a fairly strict um, interpretation of what is and isn't proper in, in terms of faith. Yeah, because Mar- Marilla, she is, you know, she's opening herself up to Anne and wants to help her. Yeah. But she's seen much difficulty in how Anne is approaching. At the same time, so she far. didn't straight up tell her. Like she hasn't. She's told her like she can't. Essentially, is discouraging her from vocalizing a lot of these thoughts. Mm. But at the same time, you get little glimpses where she's like, "No, she's not." Like, it's strange how she puts it, but it's not entirely. Mm. It's not wrong, as in evil or anything like mm. that. In fact, it's probably. Uh, appreciative and really embracing like you can see that kind of conflict um, that that um, both I think Matthew had it as well where Matthew's like I enjoy what she has to say but I mean if he was from a strictly in a strictly religious thing the way that she was describing things that that awe and that thing could be misinterpreted if if they were extremely narrow-minded And we have talked before how it probably helps that Matthew and Merla are on kind of the fringe of society. Yeah, like they're proper, but they're not deep, neck deep, or, you know, up to the top of their heads immersed in the the trappings of that that particular social setting. Like I would refer to them as trappings. I would say that they actually are probably closer to their belief. Mm. than they are to what others tell them their belief should be. They are living the way they want to. Yeah, they're, li- they're living according to what they believe in as opposed to focusing on telling other people how to mm. to, to live. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, a, a delicate kind of balance and um, always going to be a big topic. But Mrs. Rachel Lind, on the other hand... I, I've been looking forward to this. It's properly horrified. Let's find out why. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we, we can already we can, guess we can why. Yes, why? <laughs> but we can see how, how it's going to go. <clears throat> Anne had been a fortnight at Green Gables before Mrs. Lynde arrived to inspect her. <laughs> Mrs. Rachel, to do her justice, was not to blame for this. A severe and unseasonable attack of grip had confined that good lady to her house ever since the occasion of her last visit to Green Gables. Mrs. Rachel was not often sick and had a well-defined contempt for people who were. But grip, she asserted, was like no other illness on earth and could only be interpreted as one of the special visitations of providence. So it's even illness for her. Uh, So grip is... Grip is the flu. It's influenza. Yeah. Oh, and I I know until... Well, until antibiotics, influenza was... Um, well, the risk of secondary infections was extremely high. It's still very high. The flu is still quite deadly in general. Like, out of out of many viruses that exist, it's one of the nastiest because it is just so... Um, persistent? It's a, it's a tough virus. It's a tough virus, and it survives a lot. And it's such a fast-mutating virus as well, which does not help because people just... It's, it's not good. It spreads really fast too. That's the other issue. Um, but yes, <clears throat> so I like how she's like, I, I don't take, I don't hold much in, in sick people or sickness, but I guess, you know, like I, I appreciate that the flu is something different because, you know, it's, it's fairly severe and it must be a sign of the Lord. 
Like I also like like I the term grip must be like that idea that it it actually the the virus has a grip on the person. Oh yeah, yeah. The term is is in German they call it Grippe. They don't call it influenza. They actually call it Grippe. Oh. That's where it's from. So it's 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 interesting. Okay, so. As soon as her doctor allowed her to put foot out of doors, she hurried up to Green Gables, <laughs> bursting with curiosity to see Matthew and Marilla's orphan, concerning whom all sorts of stories and suppositions had gone abroad in Avonlea. Anne had made good use of every waking moment of that fortnight. Already she was acquainted with every tree and shrub about the place. She had discovered that a lane opened out below the apple orchard and ran up through a belt of woodland and she had explored it to its furthest end in all its delicious vagaries of brook and bridge, fir coppice and wild cherry arch, corners thick with fern and branching byways of maple and mountain ash. So Anne's love for nature is pretty well established. <laughs> yes. Yes. She had made friends with the spring down in the hollow, that wonderful deep icy cold spring, it was set about with smooth red sandstones and rimmed in by great palm-like clumps of water fern, and beyond it was a log bridge over the brook. That bridge led Anne's dancing feet up over a wooded hill beyond, where perpetual twilight reigned under the straight, thick-growing firs and spruces. The only flowers there were the myriads of delicate June bells, those shyest and sweetest of woodland blooms, and a few pale aerial star flowers, like the spirits of last year's blossoms. Gossamers glimmered like threads of silver among the trees and the fir boughs, and tassels seemed to utter friendly speech. All these raptured voyages of exploration were made in the odd half-hours when she was allowed to play, and Anne talked Matthew and Marilla half-deaf over her discoveries. Not that Matthew complained, to be sure. He listened to it all with a wordless smile of enjoyment on his face. Marilla permitted the chatter until she found herself becoming too interested in it. <laughs> Whereupon she always promptly quenched Anne by a curt command to hold her tongue. So Marilla's like, this is, this is, uh, 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 no, I'm getting distracted. I must do my work. Like, she's very like I can put hands. under the spell. Well, yes, idle hands. That idea of well, that was another thing. It's like you, you shouldn't be idle. Mm -hmm. Idleness is to be discouraged. And the thing is, it's not technically idle to connect with another human being, but seeing that is mm -hmm. is you know setting setting yeah. context. <clears throat> Anne was out in the orchard when Mrs. Rachel came, wandering at her own sweet will through the lush, tremulous grasses splayed with ruddy evening sunshine so that good lady had an excellent chance to talk her illness fully over, describing every ache and pulse beat with such evident enjoyment that Marilla thought that even grip must bring its compensations. When details were exhausted, Mrs. Rachel introduced the real reason of her call. I've been hearing some surprising things about you and Matthew. I don't suppose you're any more surprised than I am myself, said Marilla. I'm getting over my surprise now. Remember the previous chapters were all about surprise. Mm. That makes me chuckle. That sounds like an author kind of Easter egging. <laughs> anyway. It was too bad there was such a mistake, said Mrs. Rachel sympathetically. Couldn't you have sent her back? I suppose we could, but we decided not to. Matthew took a fancy to her, and I must say I like her myself. 
although I admit she has her faults. The house seems a different place already. She's a real bright little thing. Marilla said more than she had intended to say when she began, for she read disapproval in Mrs. Rachel's expression. It's a great responsibility you've taken on yourself, said that lady gloomily, especially when you've never had any experience with children. You don't know much about her or her real disposition, I suppose, and there's no guessing how a child like that will turn out. But I don't want to discourage you, I'm sure, Marilla. I'm not feeling discouraged, was Marilla's dry response. When I make up my mind to do a thing, it stays made up. I suppose you'd like to see Anne. I'll call her in. Anne came running in presently, her face sparkling with the delight of her orchard rovings, but, abashed at finding the delight herself in the unexpected presence of a stranger, she halted confusedly inside the door. She certainly was an odd-looking little creature in the short, tight, wincy dress she had worn from the asylum, below which her thin legs seemed ungracefully long. Her freckles were more numerous and obtrusive than ever. The wind had ruffled her hatless hair into over-brilliant disorder. It had never looked redder than at that moment. Oh, no. <laughs> mm. Well, they didn't pick you for your looks, that's sure and certain, was Mrs. Rachel Lynn's emphatic comment. Mrs. Rachel was one of those delightful and popular people who pride themselves on speaking their mind without fear or favor. She's terrible skinny and homely, Marilla. Come here, child, let me have a look at you. Lawful heart, did anyone ever see such freckles? And hair as red as carrots. Come here, child, I say. Anne came there, but not exactly as Mrs. Rachel expected. With one bound, she crossed the kitchen floor and stood before Mrs. Rachel, her face scarlet with anger, her lips quivering, and her whole slender form trembling from head to foot. I hate you, she cried in a choked voice, stamping her foot on the floor. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. A louder stamp with each assertion of hatred. How dare you call me skinny and ugly? How dare you say I'm freckled and red-headed? You are a rude, impolite, unfeeling woman. Wow, I, I didn't expect that. Anne! exclaimed Marilla in consternation. But Anne continued to face Mrs. Rachel undauntedly, heads up, eyes blazing, hands clenched, passionate indignation, exhaling from her like an atmosphere. How dare you say such things about me, she repeated vehemently. How would you like to have such things said about you? How would you like to be told that you are fat and clumsy and probably hadn't a spark of imagination in you? I don't care if I do hurt your feelings by saying so. I hope I hurt them. You have hurt mine worse than they were ever hurt before, even by Mrs. Thomas's intoxicated husband, and I'll never forgive you for it. Never, never. Stamp, stamp. Did anybody ever see such a temper, exclaimed the horrified Mrs. Rachel. And go to your room and stay there until I come up, said Marilla, recovering her powers of speech with difficulty. <sighs> Anne, bursting into tears, rushed to, the, rushed to the hall door, slammed it until the tins on the porch wall outside rattled in sympathy, and fled through the hall and up the stairs like a whirlwind. A subdued slam above told that the door of the east gable had been shut with equal vehemence. Well, I don't envy you your job bringing that up, Marilla, said Mrs. Rachel with unspeakable solemnity. Marilla opened her lips to say she knew not what of apology or deprecation, but 
What she did say was a surprise to herself then and ever afterwards. You shouldn't have twitted her about her looks, Rachel. Marilla Cuthbert, you don't mean to say that you are upholding her in such a terrible display of temper as we've just seen, demanded Mrs. Rachel indignantly. No, said Marilla slowly. I'm not trying to excuse her. She's been very naughty, and I'll have to give her a talking to about it. But we must make allowances for that. She's never been taught what is right. And you were too hard on her, Rachel. Marilla could not help tacking on that last sentence, although she was again surprised at herself for doing it. Mrs. Rachel got up in an got up with an air of offended dignity. Well, I see that I'll have to be very careful what I say after this, Marilla, since the fine feelings of orphans brought in brought from goodness knows where have to be considered before anything else. Oh no, I'm not vexed. Don't worry yourself. I am too sorry for you to leave any room for anger in my mind. You'll have your own troubles with that child. But if you'll take my advice, which I suppose you won't do, although I've brought up ten children and buried two, you'll do that talking to you mentioned with a fair-sized birch switch. I should think that would be the most effective language for that kind of child. Her temper matches her hair, I guess. Well, good evening, Marilla. I hope you'll come down to see me often as usual, but you can't expect me to visit here again in a hurry if I'm liable to be flown at and insulted in such a fashion. It's something new in my experience. Whereas Mrs. Rachel swept out and away, if a fat woman who, was always, who always waddled could be said to sweep away, and Marilla with a very solemn face betook herself to the East Gable. Okay, so shall we reflect briefly on what yeah, just that- happened? <laughs> That was intense. <laughs> yes. So, um, I, like, I mean, because I've read this book before, I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> she does not cope very well with, she because she ma- she is upset with her hair. We, we've heard mm-hmm. about that a lot of times. She's not huge on her own appearance. But having another person, a stranger, out of nowhere bring it up when she's just come from a happy, joyful space. And she doesn't know who Mrs. Rachel Lynde is. No, doesn't know who this, is, this person is. Doesn't know if they're a kind person or if they're just a nasty person. Like, mm-hmm. just just out of nowhere getting that, honestly, that attitude. And the fact that Marilla, I, I like, is like, Marilla didn't know where the words were coming from, but they were coming. <laughs> like, yeah. they were just like, she had no... Because Marilla and Matthew have already developed a love for her, for, for Anne, right? Yeah. And they understand the context. They mm. appreciate, look, she doesn't know any better. She hasn't been raised to not react when people are rude to her. Mm. Things like that. She doesn't know. But you do. Why are you rude to her when she doesn't, she don't, doesn't need, no one needs that. Mm. But I liked how the, again, uh, Mrs. Montgomery wrote, Ellen Montgomery, um, Mrs. Rachel was one of those delightful and popular people who pride themselves on speaking their mind without fear or favor. Yeah, we know how those tend to go. Yeah, I I think because it mentioned that in the in the first chapter because she is basically the town gossip and hub. She's a gossip, but she's not a gossip with ill intent. She's a gossip with. Or okay, let's say, I don't think she realizes that what she does can have harmful effects. Mm, she she's just well, and I've said this before. I've. I've known people who delight in their I'm going to speak whatever is on my mind attitude. Yes, but that's and that's the thing. Like yes. she's speaking her mind but she doesn't actually know all the facts. And, and that's um, very dangerous. 
it's it's not really a positive when you consider that tact exists for a reason. Yeah, there's this. Uh, so she does not seem to possess an overabundance of tact. Be- because yeah, if you speak what's on your mind all the time, you will end up hurting other people's feelings, and there uh, is no real defense for that. If you just try and back them and go, well, that's just who I am. It's like no, no, you can do better. Yes, and the thing is, she is a compassionate person. She's the kind of person who will go and help, but she doesn't necessarily. Her understanding of what compassion looks like may be limited, or. Mm. Forgiveness. I mean, the fact that she's, if I don't really hold uh, that attitude towards illness or sick people, that she's got a bit of a superiority complex for sure. Um, an, an empathy deficiency. It could be an empathy deficiency. There's something definitely not quite 100% with Mrs. Rachel. Well, but, also, this is the first time I think it said how she's fat. I never really got that in my head before. Mm. Look, if you've had 12 kids and you gain weight, that does happen. I actually Well, this this is the first time also they mentioned yeah. how many kids she's had. Yeah. But notice that she and her husband are all on their own mm. in the house. They've all grown up and moved on. Yeah. Um, my big thing is the fact that I'm not a fan of using so the way that the author uses fat, like a character, like a like a uh, like it's part of their uh, how do you put it? That fat is a personality. Right. As a descriptor, sure, someone can be fat, someone can be skinny, someone can be this, some of that. It doesn't, it's irrelevant. Mm. But the way it's used, it's almost mo- like she's in this particular case, she is the antagonist. She's done something antagonistic and she feels self righteous and she feels completely justified. Whereas the fact that her friend of her entire, her lifelong friend is basically even gently, very gently, but has gently told her off. Mm. You can tell that fat is being used as an insult there, and that's just well. Anne definitely used it as an insult. Well, Anne was trying. Well, Anne was saying like, you, "I might be skinny, but you're fat." Does people do people say that to your face? Like that's rude too. Hmm. And she, but she acknowledged that what she was doing was rude. Hmm. And whereas with the author describing, if a fat man could, uh, sorry, if a fat woman can be said to to sweep. Yes, yes, there was, and it was in hyphen, so it's an aside. It's yes. like a breaking the fourth wall. Kind of. Yeah, which which I just kind of go, eh, I'm not a fan. Like, I, I enjoy Alan Montgomery most of the time, but there's little bits like that. I'm going, that's a reflection of the attitude of the time. But focusing a little bit more on the fact that Marilla, you know, Marilla, she, the fact that she's that cold and, well, not cold. She's very... Reserved. Reserved is the word. She's a very reserved kind of person. But even in, in her reserved nature... She has got so much compassion and understanding for a child that is challenged, mm. with like the, whose life circumstances have been challenging. Yeah, I mean, we're going to still obviously see clashes where her one is probably coming up right now. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a clash right now. Whereas, oh, I, I mean, her going up and having to discipline mm, it. Probably, probably. Like I, I cannot say for until we continue. But and yeah. as. Uh, Merla also talking, sorry, uh, Mrs. Yeah. Rachel Lynn talking about how, well, the, the only talking to she really needs is a birch. Yeah, yeah. So that could also maybe explain why her children aren't there anymore. Maybe so not too. visiting as much anymore. Yeah, just permanently kind of, yeah. So supposedly she's a fair, but she's a very strict woman, which is not, which it doesn't necessarily remind you of warmth and mercy mm. and kindness and compassion. It's a bit tricky. But yeah. she's but she is kind, but she's also kind and very Well, 
in a negative way, I think, because it sounds like she's kind on her terms. That's what I mean. Like kind, kindness. Okay, this is a philosophical debate. Yeah, is one truly kind? Is kindness truly in place when one is not being considerate? Is it truly kind when one is not reflecting? You like you and I might think something is a kind gesture, but someone to whom the gesture is being made may not perceive it that way because it isn't coming. Like, and uh, if uh, from this yeah. uh, era. I remember there's a, there's an old like uh, I note from Monty Python like they make fun of it as an old British housewife saving saying but you have to be cruel to be kind that idea that oh sure I'm being mean but they have to know it will Someone do them has better. Someone to tell them. Yes. Yeah. That's not kindness. No, it's not kindness. I mean, but, but it's, honesty it's, is kindness. Being honest is kind. Being no honest doesn't mean that you are rude. Okay. And that's my thing. Being honest, being sincere about like when 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 you can help so sincerely actually meaning like hey is there something i can bring you can i help you out can i my friend has the flu hey i uh, i can't visit you in person because i i'm immune suppressed and i can't afford to get the flu but can i or help anything can i like leave a, a pot of soup outside for you to so you can grab it yeah. what like is there something i can do if that's kind of like what would help you, even asking them, what would be helpful to you? Uh, you know, allowing that um, the agency of the person, believing in the agency of the person that you are being kind to. Hmm. That that's that's sincere. It's honest. Like it gets messy, and we could go into it like a lot of it for days. But Mrs. Rachel is very much a my way of the highway person. At least, at least that's the impression we're getting. Yeah. The question is, I mean taking the book the idea is you're introducing never mind we're in, there's an introduction of a like a fresh breeze as we said to this slightly more stodgy village mm -hmm. how how do we now predict that Anne's impact what that's going to be we should by the end of this chapter i think let's reflect on what the possible impact Anne is going to have by the end of well already she's told off the town hub She's told off the town hub, but how's that going to... The fact that Marilla's relationship with Rachel Lind has immediately been affected, hmm. but not necessarily in a bad way. I think, honestly, it was overdue. Marilla, the fact that Marilla, when she was there, at the beginning of the chapter goes, Marilla said more than she had intended to say when she began, for she read disapproval in Mrs. Rachel's expression. Hmm. The fact that she was her her okay supposedly her best friend in the entire village in her aside from her husband in in her entire interactions that her best friend oh no I'm not, other way around as well so Mrs Rachel's oh you're talking about Rachel Mrs Rachel's best friend around her is very careful how she expresses herself constantly on eggshells mm -hmm. that's how I'm interpreting this by the way but I'm like it's constantly being cautious. I mean, we saw it in their first interaction. Yeah. You wouldn't have guessed that they were best friends. Hmm. But well, then at it, the end it goes, they are. It's probably hard to be a true friend to someone like that, where anything you say could make its way around the town. That's part of it, but also, I think it was more that she was the fear of being judged by your friend. Hmm. That, that's not cool. If If you're, like, if that's your best friend and you can't be honest around them, that's... Yeah. Uh, but immediately, we, we by the end of even a conversation, that uh, gathering of them meeting, 
because of Anne coming in with her fresh breeds of anger in this particular case, mm. in response. Which was she, very shocking. Which was very shocking, very jarring. But Marilla actually said things she didn't realize. Like, she, she was saying she didn't intend to say it, but she said it. Mm. She didn't know where the words came from, but they came from somewhere. So all these things that she's been suppressing and not doing and not communicating. Well, also, um, I've always held true that, you know, it's impossible to be a friend with someone without uh, them affecting, like changing you in some way and you changing them. Just yeah. kind of the idea of, you know, we have effects on the people around yeah. us. And I think in a familial context, that's much stronger. So even though it's only been a fortnight or so, mm-hmm. Marilla has effectively a daughter now yes. and and has a mother. And that's they, they've slowly started to uh, bond, bond it. But 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 yeah, the, um, not warp is the wrong word, but but you know, uh, bit, bits of them are spreading onto the other. Well, I yeah, yeah. The Marilla is well, Marilla's Marilla is being allowed to blossom as a person, like is being encouraged to develop her her affection, her love, her care, mm-hmm. her consideration. Even looking at it, we saw at the beginning, like she wouldn't have considered what a child thinks or feels, mm. but now is having to consider what a child thinks or feels. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's we're building up, and and she's fighting herself internally because when she finds herself interested in what Anne has to say, she has to admonish herself. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> "This is getting interesting." Oh no, stop! Yeah, that. So we can even that sentence was interesting because it shows that development, that change in a person. Mm. But, but yes, so maybe I think I guess the the uh, the big overarching theme could be the transformative power of love. On human relationships, if we wanted to go for a thesis that the, the author is going after, but I, I'm sure someone else out there who actually studies this stuff regularly has expressed it better than I have just done. But yes, okay. So now, so 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 Marilla is about to head up to Anne. Yep. No mind. On the way upstairs, she pondered uneasily as to what she ought to do. She felt no little dismay over the scene that had just been enacted. How unfortunate that Anne should have displayed such temper before Mrs. Rachel Lynde of all people. Then Marilla suddenly became aware of an uncomfortable and rebuking consciousness that she felt more humiliation over this than sorrow over the discovery of such a serious defect in Anne's disposition. And how was she to punish her? The amiable suggestion of the birch switch, to the efficiency of which... All of Mrs. Rachel's own children could have borne smarting testimony did not appeal to Marilla. She did not believe she could whip a child. No, some other method of punishment must be found to bring Anne to a proper realization of the enormity of her offense. Marilla found Anne face downward on her bed, crying bitterly, quite oblivious of muddy boots on clean cal- on a clean counterpane. Anne... She said, not ungently, no answer. Anne, with greater severity, get off that bed this minute and listen to what I have to say to you. Anne squirmed off the bed and sat rigidly on a chair beside it, her face swollen and tear-stained and her eyes fixed stubbornly on the floor. This is a nice way for you to behave. Anne, aren't you ashamed of yourself? She hadn't any right to call me ugly and red-headed, retorted Anne, evasive and defiant. You hadn't any right to fly into such a fury and talk the way you did to her, Anne. 
I was ashamed of you, thoroughly ashamed of you. I wanted you to behave nicely to Mrs. Lynde, and instead of that you have disgraced me. I'm sure I don't know why you should lose your temper like that, just because Mrs. Rachel Lynde said you were red-haired and homely. You say it yourself often enough. Oh, but there's such a difference between saying a thing yourself and hearing other people say it, wailed Anne. You may know a thing is so, but you can't help hoping other people don't quite think it is. I suppose you think I have an awful temper, but I couldn't help it. When she said those things, something just rose right up in me and choked me. I had to fly out at her. Well, you made a fine exhibition of yourself, I must say. Mrs. Rachel will have a nice story to tell about you everywhere, and she'll tell it too. It was a dreadful thing for you to lose your temper like that, Anne. Just imagine how you'd feel if somebody told you to your face that you were skinny and ugly, pleaded Anne tearfully. An old remembrance suddenly rose up before Marilla. She had been a very small child when she had heard one aunt say of her to another, What a pity, she is such a dark, homely little thing. Marilla was every day of fifty before the sting had gone out of that memory. I don't say that I think Mrs. Rachel Lynde was exactly right in saying what she did to you, Anne, she admitted in a softer tone. Rachel is too outspoken. But... That is no excuse for such behavior on your part. She was a stranger and an elderly person and my visitor, all three very good reasons why you should have been respectful to her. You were rude and saucy and Marilla had a saving inspiration of punishment. You must go to her and tell her that you are sorry for your bad temper and ask her to forgive you. I can never do that, said Anne determinedly and darkly. You can punish me in any way you like, Marilla. You can shut me up in a dark, damp dungeon inhabited by snakes and toads and feed me only on bread and water, and I shall not complain, but I cannot ask Mrs. Lynde to forgive me. We are not in a habit of shutting people up in dark, damp dungeons, said Marilla, <laughs> said Marilla dryly, especially as they're rather scarce in <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to laugh. <laughs> especially as they're rather scarce in Avonlea. But apologize to Mrs. Rachel, you must, and shall, and you'll stay here into your room until you can tell me you're willing to do it. I shall have to stay here forever then, said Anne mournfully, because I can't tell Mrs. Lynde I'm sorry I said those things to her. How can I? I'm not sorry. I'm sorry I vexed you, but I'm glad I told her just what I did. It was a great satisfaction. I can't say I'm sorry when I'm not, can I? I can't even imagine I'm sorry. Perhaps your imagination will be in better working order by the morning, said Marilla, rising to depart. You'll have the night to think over your conduct in and come to a better frame of mind. You said you would try to be a very good girl if we kept you at Green Gables, but I must say it hasn't seemed very much like it this evening. Leaving this Parthian shaft to rankle in Anne's stormy bosom, Marilla descended to the kitchen, grievously troubled in mind and vexed in soul. She was angry with herself, as with Anne, because whenever she recalled Mrs. Rachel's dumbfounded countenance, her lips twitched with amusement, and she felt a most reprehensible desire to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, someone's actually put Rachel in her place. Oh my God. <laughs> Wasn't that earlier where she she found 
found herself smiling at what Anne said, but she's like, no, no, you can't say that. <laughs> yes. No, you cannot find that funny. You cannot respond to it that way. Because there's what society dictates and what that could possibly encourage in Anne as a, as a pattern of behavior. So mm. she's aware. But at the same time, she's like, she can laugh at the situation internally. Mm. She's like, no, don't laugh. It's not good. But I like that. Like, you know, she realized her the, the punishment that's proper is for her to actually... Mm. Yeah, oh, I, and I love how when she thought of it, uh, like it was inspiration. It was the right thing. Like she could tell what was frustrating. It's like she's really upset. She's thinking, but the conduct isn't appropriate. Uh, so it's... And and also, it's a very good um, uh, lesson to learn forgiveness. I well, think. forgiveness, yes, but also accountability. She's training Anne to be accountable for her words, her actions, her attitudes. And that's huge. I mean, she and she even said, I don't agree with what she said to you. I don't think she should have done that. But at the point is you need to address how you communicated. It, it doesn't necessarily mean she's forgiving her for the things that she said. She's not being told you have to forgive her. You have to apologize to her. Big difference. Wait, did, I thought she said forgive. Well, you can ask, yeah, you her, ask to forgive her to forgive you. you. Right, got you. You yeah. don't have to forgive her. Yeah. But you have to ask her to forgive you. And what you're saying is, I seek forgiveness for my actions, for my behavior. Yes. Not necessarily for the words. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully huh? one day you may be able to forgive her. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's up to her to develop and to work on. But because, yeah, um, I think, you know, it's easy to forget how young... Anne is and as Anne said I don't know where it came from but I had to say it and I don't feel sorry at all and it's like yeah that's very childish it's fair, it's fair. So she's what 11 12 12 yeah yeah, yeah. but but so yeah that fair. idea well you know some adults never grow at that uh that desire for vengeance and revenge and feeling good when hurting other people well I think that's part of it but also I think she was feeling like I need her to feel what I'm feeling I mm-hmm. need to feel the emotions that I'm feeling because this hurts. Well, that that's usually why we lash out at other people is it's when pain. we've been hurt and we want them to feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you guess the next chapter? Well, I've read the title oh, yes. of it. It's called Anne's Apology. So Anne's Apology, right into chapter 10. Marilla said nothing to Matthew about the affair that evening, but when Anne proved still refractory the next morning, an explanation had to be made to account for her absence from the breakfast table. Marilla told Matthew the whole story, taking pains to impress him with a due sense of the enormity of Anne's behavior. It's a good thing Rachel Lynn got a calling down. She's a meddlesome old woman. <laughs> Was Matthew's consolatory rejoinder. Matthew Cuthbert, I'm astonished at you. You know that Anne's behavior was dreadful, and yet you take her part. I suppose you'll be saying next that she oughtn't be punished at all. Well, now no, not exactly, (laughs) said Matthew uneasily. I reckon she ought to be punished a little, but don't be too hard on her, Marilla. Recollect, she hasn't had anyone to teach her right. You're, You're going to give her something to eat, aren't you? When did you ever hear of me starving people into good behavior, demanded Marilla indignantly. She'll have her meals regular, and I'll carry them up to her myself. But she'll stay up there until she's willing to apologize to Mrs. Rachel, and that's final, Matthew. Breakfast, dinner, and supper were very silent meals, for Anne still remained obdurate. After each meal, Marilla carried a well-filled tray to the east gable and brought it down later on, not not noticeably depleted. Matthew eyed its last descent with a troubled eye. Had Anne eaten anything at all? 
When Marilla went out that evening to bring the cows from the back pasture, Matthew, who had been hanging about the barns and watching, slipped into the house with an air of a burglar and crept upstairs. As a general thing, Matthew gravitated between the kitchen and the little bedroom off the hall where he slept. Once in a while he ventured uncomfortably into the parlour or sitting room when the minister came to tea. But he had never been upstairs in his own house since the spring he helped Marilla paper the spare bedroom, and that was four years ago. Wow. Yeah, so Anne, Anne is inspiring change. He tiptoed along the hall and stood for several minutes outside the door of the east gable before he summoned courage to tap on it with his fingers and then opened the door to peep in. Anne was sitting on the yellow chair by the window, gazing mournfully out into the garden. Very small and unhappy, she looked, and Matthew's heart smote him. He softly closed the door and tiptoed over to her. Anne, he whispered, as if afraid of being overheard. How are you making it, Anne? Anne smiled wanly. Pretty well. I imagine a good deal, and that helps to pass the time. Of course, it's rather lonesome, but then I might as well get used to that. Anne smiled again, bravely facing the long years of solitary imprisonment <laughs> before her. She's such a... Yeah, yeah. Um. Matthew recollected that he must say what he came to say without loss of time, lest Marilla return prematurely. prematurely. Well now, Anne, you don't think you'd better do it and have it over with? He whispered. It'll have to be done sooner or later, you know, for Marilla's a dreadful determined woman. Dreadful determined, Anne. Do it right off, I say, and have it over. Do you mean apologize to Mrs. Lynde? Yes, apologize. That's the very word, said Matthew eagerly. Just smooth it over, so to speak. That's what I was trying to get at. I suppose I could do it to oblige you, said Anne thoughtfully. It would be true enough to say I am sorry, because I am sorry now. I wasn't a bit sorry last night. I was mad, clear through. And I stayed mad all night. I know I did, because I woke up three times, and I was just as furious every time. But this morning, it was over. I wasn't in a temper any more, and it left a dreadful sort of goneness, too. I felt so ashamed of myself. But I just couldn't think of going and telling Mrs. Linzo. <laughs> she, she regrets, but she doesn't want to mm. admit defeat. It would be so humiliating. I made up my mind. I'd rather stay shut up here forever rather than do that. But still, I'd do anything for you if you really want me to. Well, now, of course I do. It's terrible lonesome downstairs without you. Just go and smooth things over. That's a good girl. Very well, said Anne resignedly. I'll tell Marilla as soon as she comes in. I have repented. That's right. That's right, Anne. But don't tell, Mar <laughs> but don't tell Marilla I said anything about it. She might think I was putting my oar in, and I promised not to do that. Wild horses won't drag the secret from me, promised Anne solemnly. How would wild horses drag a secret from a person anyhow? You don't want to know, Anne. No, no. But Matthew was gone, scared at his own success. He fled hastily to the remotest corner of the horse pasture, lest Marilla should suspect what he had been up to. Marilla herself, upon her return to the house, was agreeably surprised to hear a plaintive voice calling Marilla over the balusters. Well, she said, going into the hall, I'm sorry I lost my temper and said rude things, and I'm willing to go and tell Mrs. Lynn so. Very well. Marilla's crispness gave no sign of her relief. She had been wondering what, what under the canopy she should do if Anne did not give in. I'll take you down after milking. Accordingly after milking, behold Marilla and Anne walking down the lane, the former erect and triumphant, 
the latter drooping and dejected. But halfway down, Anne's dejection vanished as if by enchantment. She lifted her head and stepped lightly along her eyes, fixed on the sunset sky and an air of subdued exhilaration about her. Marilla beheld the change disapprovingly. <laughs> this was no meek penitent, such as it behooved her to take into the presence of the offended Mrs. Lynde. What are you thinking of, Anne? She said sharply. I'm imagining out what I must say to Mrs. Lynde, answered Anne dreamily. This was satisfactory, or should have been so, but Marilla could not rid herself of the notion that something in her <laughs> scheme of punishment was going askew. Anne had no business to look so rapt and, in, and radiant. Rapt and radiant. Rapt and radiant Anne continued until they were in the very presence of Mrs. Lynde, who was sitting, knitting by her kitchen window. Then the radiance vanished. Mournful penitence appeared on every feature. Before a word was spoken, Anne suddenly went down on her knees before the astonished Mrs. Rachel and held out her hands beseechingly. Oh, Mrs. Lynde, I am so extremely sorry, she said with a quiver in her voice. I could never express all my sorrow. No, not if I used up a whole dictionary. You must just imagine it. I behave terribly to you, and I have disgraced the dear friends, Matthew and Marilla, who have let me stay at Green Gables, although I am not a boy. I am a dreadfully wicked and ungrateful girl, and I deserve to be punished and cast out by respectable people forever. It was very wicked of me to fly into a temper because you told me the truth. It was the truth. Every word you said was true. My hair is red, and I am freckled and skinny and ugly. What I said to you is true, too, but I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Lynde, please, please forgive me. If you refuse it, will <laughs> if you refuse, it will be a lifelong sorrow on a poor little orphan girl, would you, even if she had a dreadful temper? Oh, I am sure you wouldn't. Please say you forgive me, Mrs. Lynde. Wow. <laughs> hilarious. Bit much. Teeny bit. <laughs> Anne clasped her hands together, bowed her head, and waited for the word of judgment. There was no mistaking her sincerity. It, it breathed in every tone of her voice. Both Marilla and Mrs. Lynde recognized this unmistakable ring, but the former understood in dismay that Anne was actually enjoying her valley of humiliation, was reveling in the thoroughness of her abasement. Where was the wholesome punishment upon which she, Marilla, had plumed herself? Anne had turned it into a species of positive pleasure. So she's enjoying being a base, which is... Because obviously it's all an act. Well, no, they're saying it's sincere. Both of them going... Yeah, but she should just sincere. be a very good act. No, 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 she's sincerely... Because look at it, she snuck in a, every word. You're, what you told me was the truth, but what I said was the truth too. I've humiliated my friends. I feel sorry about that. Right, right. She's just found the right way to do what she was told to, but to, to steer it to her own Well, she's, steer, she's being sincere in what she says. She's not, not being deceptive about it, but the way she's doing it is just like, if I were to apologize, remember she's imagining how she'd apologize? How would you apologize and really thoroughly? And that's when she started looking happy. Yes, because she could imagine it's an experience for her. She's taking it as an experience, something okay. to learn from, which is, I mean... Uh, it's not what you would ex want in, in the kind of punishment, the carrot uh, and stick punishment model. Yeah, well, Marilla is like, what happened to my punishment? It's gone askew. <laughs> yes. 
But I like this next <laughs> sentence here. It says, Good Mrs. Mrs. Lynde, not being overburdened with perception, <laughs> did not see this. She only perceived that Anne had made a very thorough apology and all resentment vanished from her kindly, if somewhat officious, heart. There, there, get up, child, she said heartily. Of course I forgive you. I guess I was a little too hard on you anyway. But I'm such an outspoken person, you mustn't mind me. That's what. It can't be denied your hair is a terrible red. But I knew a girl once, I went to school with her in fact, whose hair was every mite as red as yours when she was young. But when she grew up, it darkened into a real handsome auburn. I wouldn't be a mite surprised if yours did too. Not a mite. Oh, Mrs. Lynde! Anne drew a long breath as she rose to her feet. You have given me a hope. I shall always feel that you are a benefactor. Oh, I could endure anything if only I thought my hair would be as a handsome auburn when I grew up. It would be so much easier to be good if one's hair was a handsome auburn, don't you think? And now, may I go out into your garden and sit under that bench under the apple trees while you and Marilla are talking? There's so much more scope for imagination out there. Laws, yes, run along, child, and you can pick a bouquet of them white June lilies over in the corner if you like. As the door closed behind Anne, Mrs. Lynde got briskly up to light a lamp. She's a real odd little thing. Take this chair, Marilla. It's easier than the one you've got. I just keep that one for the hired boy to sit on. Yes, she certainly is an odd child, but there's something... <laughs> Sorry. But there's something kind of taking about her after all. I don't feel so surprised at you and Matthew for keeping her as I did, nor so sorry for you either. She may turn out all right. Of course, she has a queer way of expressing herself, a little too, well, too kind of forcible, if you know. But she'll likely get over that now she's come to live among civilized folks. And then her temper's pretty quick, I guess, but that's one comfort. A child that has a quick temper just blaze up and cool down. Ain't never likely to be sly or deceitful. Preserve me from a sly child, that's what. On the whole, Marilla, I kind of like her. I like that observation, uh, the idea that people are quick to temper. It's, it can be um, a problem, but it's, it's kind of like, yeah, the fire's been lit and then it goes out. Yeah. It's not like the people who just kind of smolder. Yeah, that resentment that builds mm. up, yeah. When Marilla went home, Anne came out of the fragrant twilight of the orchard with a sheaf of, of white narcissa in her hands. I apologized pretty well, didn't I? She said proudly as she went down the lane. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I thought, since I had to do it, I might as well do it thoroughly. <laughs> you did it thoroughly enough, was Marilla's comment. Marilla was dismayed at finding herself inclined to laugh over the recollection. She also had an uneasy feeling that she ought to scold and for apologizing so well, but then that was ridiculous. She compromised with her conscience by saying severely, I hope you won't have occasion to make many, many more such apologies. <laughs> That's a good compromise there. I hope that you'll try to control your temper now, Anne. That wouldn't be so hard if people wouldn't twit me about my looks, said Anne with a sigh. I don't get cross about other things, but I am so tired about being t uh, tired of being twitted about my hair, and it just makes me boil right over. Do you suppose my hair will really be a handsome auburn when I grow up? You shouldn't think so much about your looks, Anne. I'm afraid you are a very vain little girl. How can I be vain when I know I'm homely? Protested Anne. I love pretty things, and I hate to look in the glass and see something that isn't pretty. 
It just makes me feel so sorrowful. Just as I feel when I look at any ugly thing, I pity it because it isn't beautiful. Handsome is as handsome does, quoted Marilla. I've had that said to me before, but I have my doubts about it, remarked skeptical Anne, sniffing at her necessity. Oh, aren't these flowers sweet? It was lovely of Mrs. Lynde to give them to me. I have no hard feelings against Mrs. Lynde now. It gives you a lovely, comfortable feeling to apologize and be forgiven, doesn't it? Aren't the stars bright tonight? If you could live in a star, which one would you pick? I'd like that lovely, clear, big one, away over there, above that dark hill. And do hold your tongue, <laughs> said Marilla, thoroughly worn out, trying to follow the gyrations of Anne's thoughts. Anne said no more until they turned into their own lane. The little gypsy wind came down it to meet them, laden with the spicy perfume of young dew-wet ferns. Far up in the shadows, a cheerful light gleamed out through the trees from the kitchen at Green Gables. Anne suddenly came close to Marilla and slipped her hand into the older woman's hard palm. It's lovely to be going home, and I know it's home, she said. I love Green Gables already, and I never loved any place before. No place ever seemed like home. Oh, Marilla, I'm so happy. I could pray right now and not find it a bit hard. Something warm and pleasant welled up in Marilla's heart at touch of that thin little hand in her own, a throb of the maternity she had missed, perhaps. Its very unaccustomedness and sweetness disturbed her. She hastened to restore her sensations to their normal calm by inculcating a moral. <laughs> See, she can't handle... She, so she, must make it a teaching moment. If you'll be a good girl, you'll always be happy, Anne. And you should never find it hard to say your prayers. Saying one's prayers isn't exactly the same thing as praying, said Anne meditatively. But I'm going to imagine that I'm the wind that is blowing up there in those treetops. When I get tired of the trees, I'll imagine I'm gently waving down here in the ferns, and then I'll fly over to Mrs. Rachel's garden and set the flowers dancing, and then I'll go with one great swoop over the clover field, and then I'll blow over the lake of shining waters and ripple it all up into little sparkling waves. Oh, there's so much scope of, for imagination in the wind, so I'll not talk any more just now, Marilla. <laughs> Thanks be to goodness for that, breathed Marilla in a devout relief. Ah, nice. That's a cool one, that sentence. Saying one's prayer isn't exactly the same thing as praying. I think praying, in maybe in the way I'm seeing Anne, is it's being appreciative of, I guess, counting, you know, when you count your blessings and appreciate, like, mm -hmm. that, that kind of thing? Like, And um, praying seems to be a more in the moment while saying your prayers is a ritual. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That, that makes sense. Um, but yes, it's... That was a wonderful chapter. It's a great chapter. I, those two chapters just so nicely work together. But yeah, it's it's just such a... Um, I, I had a giant smile on my face whenever I wasn't cackling. <laughs> yes. You're like, oh, Anne, what are you doing? But then she was sincere about it, but she was just... And, and you know, that's my own failing. I've done this in a couple chapters where I've... I've, I've uh, I've subscribed. What's the word? I've. So it is a bit of cynicism when, when, when. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've doubted. put my own cynicism on her as a character, and then it becomes obvious that no, she's being completely sincere, and then I feel a bit, oh yeah, wow, <laughs> I must have a dimmer way of looking at the well, world. Well, no, okay. So Mark Twain, 
Mark Twain. He felt that Anne was one of the most delightful characters ever written in, in North American literature. And there is a reason for it as well. I think because Mark Twain, he was fairly cynical. He was pretty, Oh yeah, he's he's the king of American satire. He was a, he was famously cynical. And the fact that he could see this character, I, I wonder if when he was going through it, he had a similar kind of response where he was like, oh, yeah, that kid's just, you know, be, oh, no, wait, okay, so the author's saying this is a sincere thing, it's coming from a good place. Oh, what is it? Like, you go, oh, wow. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you this, every time I think she's being cynical and then I find out she isn't, it makes me like her even more. Yeah, she's an incredibly likable character. I mean, she's, she's an incredibly, um, we're like, oh, oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, this is not going to go well. But you don't look down on her. You almost kind of go, you're witnessing her change and her transformation and her realizations, and you appreciate them for her. And it's also one of those things where, um, like, you know, the one of the marks of a good character is, you know, you can plop them down in different situations and you can just laugh at like, oh, I wonder how they'll react here mm-hmm. um, like actually that's that's a good um uh tentative sitcom writing is mm-hmm. you have these characters that hopefully people really like and they're like well what if they went go-karting how would that how would their personalities yeah, rub like, up against that would one be more competitive would one be be less like more considered if they had an accident how they respond yeah it, it's 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 uh, definitely you can see that she's the characters as they're being developed and, and unfolding are just really there, there's more to them than than the surface and it's it's really nice to witness the way it's written i i also you know it's one of those where i want to see what happens next and the i i once again read the next Pardon? chapter heading and it's Anne Anne's adventures at sunday school well, let's rephrase that. Anne's impressions of Sunday school. <laughs> and uh, I'm just going, oh, oh Marilla's not going to like this. <laughs> or not, 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 not like, but more Marilla's going to be internally probably chuckling. Well, I'm also very interested to see what kind of, um, I, I'm just assuming what kind of woman teaches the Sunday school. Or men. I'm assuming woman just goes to the time. It, it, and... you, know, you never know. With, with these things, you never know. It's True, true. Could be the pastor or whatnot. I it, it gets just didn't see, but whoever teaches how they respond. Yeah, that's gonna be interesting. It's it's all good and well to speak of. Um, uh, as I said, this is a very narrow, well, not very narrow-minded, but we don't know this community. But it's I think implied that it's a fairly rigid community, and Anne is not a rigid mind. Hmm. I mean, she does get angry, but that's... Well, that's being human. That's yes, she is a human. Yeah, it's really... She does... It just writes it well. It just writes it so well. I just enjoy her writing. I love how she describes also the natural... Like, the nature interactions between things. Very descriptive writer. It's lovely. And also, it reminded me, like, how... Um, it almost seems, after that last chapter, that Mrs. Rachel Lynde and Anne are now friends, or at least on good terms. And it reminds me about that old, um, I guess, trope you could say, you know, where two guys have a fist fight in a bar and then they're drinking right afterwards. They've suddenly become the best of friends. Mm, yeah. So they, they, they've had a clash, they've had a conflict, and they've made amends. And mm. Yeah, and... and, they, and... There's this this generosity, like we said before, Mrs. Lind 
gives the impression of someone who is just just a little thoughtless, mm-hmm. a little bit thoughtless, a little tactless, but that has has a genuinely kind, like a, a good heart, golden heart, but just does not think. Mm. And I mean, that's a common theme. <laughs> um, well, he, here's the funniest thing as well, because, you know, I was about to say, well, Anne um, thinks too much. And wow, that is true. But it's also, she's maybe the very same thing where she doesn't have any filter between her brain and her mouth. No, she yeah. just lets it all out unless she's told not to. Yeah. So, so maybe that's also why there was initial conflict. They're very because, kindred. They're very kindred mm. spirits. Like they're very similar in that way. Um, but Anne actually care. Like she's, she's much more aware. If she's told when you say these things, you hurt people. She's like, oh, I didn't know that hurts people. I won't do that. Like, or she thinks she has sufficient imagination to put herself so that empathy is, is present. Like that, she, we call it, we call it. She calls it imagination. I call it. She is empathizing she's actually trying to think of what it would feel like for the other person that's empathy yeah and in in, she got to the apology in a roundabout way but she still got there you know the way she got there was matthew had to creep in and go look can you do this for me it'll be better for you if it's just you know like quick off the band-aid over and done yeah and she started with well if it will be better if you think I should do this, yeah, I'll do it for you. And then reflecting on it, but I'm actually not angry anymore. Like, it's it's faded. So even that, and like, then she started thinking about how she should do it if she was going to do it anyway. Yeah. And then she started to like the idea of what she could say. Yeah, and... so it's 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 Matthew's little or or once in a while is necessary <laughs> yeah. because she, I think they relate to each other a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yes, um, on that note. We are going to um, row away to next chapter, uh, which will happen next uh, next episode. Yep. Uh, the uh, music at the top of the podcast was um, Avonlea by Haygood Hardy. Yep. Um, at the end of the podcast, we have, as always, I Am The Slime by Frank Zappa. The, um, you can reach me at on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. And me at Rue McMoo, but you can find our podcast at... SMBSLT Podcast, that's on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, if you would like to tell us what you think of the podcast, whether it's leaving an Amazon review, uh, telling us on Twitter, or by posting to the Facebook group, we would appreciate it. Yep, any reviews would be great, any feedback, links to... Um, analyses work that you think are really interesting share what you would like conversation about the book basically that would be great yes that we, we like to think of our uh our journey through these books is a conversation starter yeah this is this is not because we're doing a in-depth analysis it's very much a hey this is interesting and maybe others will find it interesting too and hopefully we can encourage them to have a look at the book or you, 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 you know those uh, reaction channels on YouTube? Think of us as the podcast literature version of that. <laughs> We're a podcast literature reaction channel with reflections on so- social relevance and implications. Well, that's a bit... Well, because we're reacting. Well, yeah, we're reacting in the context of what you, we know. You, you live in the world. You can't help but be affected by what's that's going true. on. No one lives in a vacuum except for the... What are they called? Astronauts? No. <laughs> well, they don't... <laughs> They, they have thing uh, tardigrade except for the tardigrade <laughs> yes so with that uh, until next uh, episode happy reading everybody bye